0: Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. And welcome to another episode of Gender Journey, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, Elle.
1: Hello, hello.
0: So, what are we talking about this week? What are we, what's on your, what's on your heart and soul?
1: Pronouns are weird, man. Feeling (laughs) visible in your gender is weird.
0: That's very true. I imagine. I feel very visible my gender. is one of my binary privileges. How about you? Do you want to elaborate a bit?
1: I just, I wish the people listening could see my face that I gave you when you said that. Like, must be nice, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can imagine that it is from my nice, lofty, privileged position.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking today. Well, I've been thinking this week because I've been working with more people this last week than I have been in previous weeks. And something weird about my relationship with my pronouns is like my pronouns only seem like a respect thing like I don't like using the word uh, misgendered when people don't use they them which is what I go by at work because it doesn't feel like you missed my gender like for the same reason I don't identify as trans like she her is also encompassed in my gender so you didn't like misgender me. But at the same time, like, I've asked you to call me something and you're not doing it, and that is inherently disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like I have a different reaction to people, quote-unquote, misgendering me or using she-her, which is something I've gotten a lot of opportunities to explore this week, as people who are supposed to know me and who are literally looking at my Zoom name tag, that has they-them theirs. It has all three forms of they in it, and they still just, like, don't manage it. And I just it's just a respect thing i'm like i don't and like they they don't only mi- make a mistake like go like you know sh- i mean they no no like 100% get all the way through and like don't acknowledge that they didn't use the correct pronouns and i'm just like yeah what's up with that
0: yeah that feels very odd i mean like the fact that you have it right there in your zoom name like every time they look at you in a zoom meeting they have to see your Pronouns.
1: And so this has happened, I'll say, over this last week, I'll give it a conservative estimate and say four times. Like, four individual people on individual occasions had referred to me by she or her multiple times in like one phrase, you know? And two of those people I felt comfortable enough calling out on it, not publicly, but like sending private messages and being like, hey, but at the same time, it just makes me feel very unseen. And something I was thinking about this morning is, like, I think part of the reason that it makes me feel so unseen is, like, I just don't think anybody around me really understands what my gender is. Mm-hmm. So, like, as much as they may be trying to be respectful and call me they them, even if they landed correctly, but even if they did, like, I don't think that it would really help me feel all that seen. It would just help me feel respected.
0: Right. And that's that's something that I find kind of interesting, because... I mean, with my pronouns, I also feel respected when people use the right pronouns for me. But it's not just respect for me. I feel validated by it. Like, I do get that sense of, like, oh, you are seeing my gender because you are seeing me as a woman. And, like, I think it's interesting and I think it's useful for people to recognize that, like, that's not a universal experience necessarily. That not everybody gets that level of
1: validation. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, them doesn't actually encompass the entirety of my gender. My gender is non-static, so no single pronouns that I've discovered really can. And I think if you're using they, them in a particular way, they, them can encompass my whole gender, in theory. But I think that it doesn't necessarily if that makes any sense, which it really doesn't. And that's okay. Cause I think what I'm looking for in order to feel visible goes beyond just pronouns. Like it requires that I trust that you actually understand what my gender is.
0: And to an extent, I feel like it requires that someone understands what, like what gender is like, not even what your gender is, but just that like they have a more inherent understanding of the spectrum that we talked about back a few episodes ago.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why I go by they them overall at work, because I don't know that they them as a general just like pronoun being flat out used is all that more encompassing of my gender than like she her or he him. But I go by it at work because it at least enforces everybody to acknowledge that I am some form of gender queer time that they reference me. Right. If they're referencing me correctly. Which again, let's not let's not forget <laughs> isn't is <what's> happening. <laughs> It's like, there's like two levels of visibility that I'm looking for. I'm looking for everybody in my spheres to just accept that I'm genderqueer of some variety and call me they, them to just like continually acknowledge that I'm not straight up like a cis woman, right? Mm -hmm. That's like level one. That has a lot to do with respect for me. That has a lot to do with like, I've asked you to do this, so you should do it. It's what I want to be called. It doesn't have to be any deeper than that. Mm -hmm. That's just, like, for the general spheres that I occupy. But then for people that, like, work more directly with me or, like, friends of mine within my workplace, I want them to, like, further understand that it's not static non-binary. It's not as though... I'm like a, like a third gender, like they un- only understand static genders, so they want me to be a third non-binary box. That's a rough ask for any non-binary folk, and it's definitely not me who mm-hmm. doesn't have a static gender.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like that plays into a similar space as to where I think I was very early in my understanding of non-binary identities in terms of like kind of lumping all gender expansive and non-dash binary <laughs> identities into one sort of like third gender they them kind of all the same sort of box and I, I feel like that is a very common place that people land i remember putting a lot of work into changing my default pronoun for people from whatever i decided they looked like in the moment to just like defaulting to they them in my head mm-hmm. but that required a lot of like ungendering or like reminder of a third option and that's not really actually the point
1: right and I think that I think about a good friend of mine I don't know if he does it on purpose or if he does it because it's funny or if it's a way of covering his mistake I don't know what it is but often if he like quote-unquote misgenders me as she he'll just run through all the pronouns and be like or whatever and I'm like honestly that's so beautiful to me like that makes me see feel very seen
0: right because i i mean not to cut you off but i feel like that acknowledges the more in my experience of what you've told me the more authentic i accept any pronouns sort of thing
1: right and the only reason that i'm not still going by that is if i say i accept any pronouns i never get anything but she her i just don't think the general populace that i work with is ready for i genuinely accept all pronouns because that just means they're like okay cool i don't have to deal with it
0: yeah that kind of ends up being a way to opt out.
1: And like, that also is not the goal. I think it, it's, it's hard because I feel like I'm asking for people to see me as something they don't have a concept of. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually today, just earlier today, I was thinking about, I would really like in the coming weeks, there's an opportunity for my team to give a presentation to the whole core and all the staff as well. And in that, one of the, one of the sections that we present on is called a piece of me. And generally it's like a physical piece of me. People bring in like, you know, something from their culture something from an experience that was really important to them, something, something valuable, like emotionally valuable to them and tell a story about it. And I just, it just like struck me that I could do my gender identity as my piece of me and, like, actually explain to people what my gender identity is so that they have a fighting chance of seeing me as that, as gender fluid, as a non-static, non-binary being. Right. <laughs> um, as opposed to what I very much feel like people see me as now, which is a woman who is asking to go by they them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, like... Again, at least if you see me that way, manage to call me they-them, please. But I think it's harder. I think it's harder to remember pronouns also if people don't actually think of you any differently. Right. And as somebody who's very fem-presenting, especially currently we're all virtually and my voice is very feminine. Mm-hmm. It's even harder if, like, all the information you're taking in about me is feminine and I'm AFAB and you don't have any understanding that undercuts any of that. Right. Why would I want to go by they-them? Yeah, And that's not to say that, like, you know, obviously, femme non-binaries are valid. I am valid as non-binary. And I understand the, like, difficulty. Mm-hmm. I mean, human brains look for patterns, and there is a big old pattern in how I present.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, that that plays into um, discussions that we have had and things that I've written about on the kind of privilege as a binary person that I have, where when I asked people to start calling me the correct gender markers and all that stuff. It was relatively easy for people, both because they had context for what the heck a trans woman was. Like, that was pretty much a known entity by the time I came out three years ago. And I grew my hair out, I started wearing makeup, I started wearing dresses, and, like, those were all signals that were really easy for people to fit into the pattern Mm -hmm. of she-her. And, like, that's easy. But the general populace doesn't have a pattern for even just, sorry, not just, but even third-gender static non-binary And then you start talking about gender fluid and people are like...
1: I want to clarify that when we say third gender, we're not referring to the gender identity that is a third gender, but we are referring to a third box, a third gendered box that you can tick.
0: That's a good point. That's like
1: a third boy, girl, non-binary, and they're all boxes that have their own stereotypes. That's what we're referring to when we say third gender, not the separate gender identity that is third gender." capital T, capital G. Uh, G.
0: Right, and, and that speaks to a an issue of understanding, I feel like, in the broader world around, like, there's not a really good way to refer to people who exist outside the gender binary without also using a word that already exists as an individual identity.
1: But I think that there's a reason that there's not a good re- way to refer to them, because the community to my understanding, doesn't want to be referred to in a third-box-that-you-can-tick type of way. That's fair. Like, I mean, I think that I particularly rail against it as somebody who doesn't feel like my gender is static, but even people who do feel like their non-binary identity is static, again, in my understanding, still don't want to be a new type of man or woman. I am something outside of that understanding of gender. Right. and when you try to make it a third box that you can tick you're bringing it back into the same idea of gender and usually it means that it's still on the binary it's just a perfect in between of man and woman right that's generally what this like ideal androgynous non-binary box is is it's not actually outside the binary it's just a perfect balance in the middle. Like, I mean, even if you think about like quote unquote non-binary vocal ranges, they're right in the middle. Like if you think about quote unquote non-binary styles, it's usually like short hair and relatively feminine, like edgy feminine clothing. Mm -hmm. Like it's finding this perfect balance between man and woman because then people will identify that you're non-binary and call you they, them. That's how you can signal that you are quote unquote outside the binary But that is signaling that you're outside the binary by staying squarely within the binary.
0: Right. And then I feel like the other sort of signals that I exist outside the binary that people use are ways to try and just like bust through any sort of
1: quote unquote normal human
0: expression in terms of like body modifications brightly colored hair like those things that are also Shaved kind of heads. shaped heads like mm-hmm. things that are also kind of stereotypical to the non-binary community
1: and i think that those are also so looped up and because non-binary afabs are so much more not common but commonly seen in social media and then those types of presentations are so wrapped up also in like the more lesbian driven culture of like styles that aren't meant to attract men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that, I think the shaped head is like very much falls into that category. I think about the Doc Martens that are common across all of these mm-hmm. subcultures. And like that also isn't the goal. Like,
0: and but I mean, you also did just name that a lot of those styles also intersect with the lesbian, I'm not here to attract men sort of styles, or like kind of more butchy sort of styles. And I think that that also may be confusing slash challenging for your cis co-workers who don't really know the nuances of this, where like, you also are dating a woman. And so to them, you could just be dressing queer, like any outward presentations that you put on might just be like, oh, that's just gay. And like, not necessarily take the moment to consider that that may also just be a way that you're expressing your gender identity.
1: I mean, or that I just don't dress for any particular purpose. Most of the time, if I'm wearing something, it's because, like, I have to, or I'm wearing a headband because my hair is greasy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, here's a concept, maybe I'm just dressing, because it was, like, the most easily accessible thing in my closet. Like, I don't know. Just because I'm non-binary, do I have to have like a huge fashion sense, like I don't know, man.
0: Yes, actually, you do. It's in it's in the it's in the uh, rule book. I don't know. Have you not passed your exams yet?
1: There's not a non-binary rule book. That's a binary <laughs> bullshit idea. <laughs> like I have seen in the non-binary communities a lot of pushback against this perfect androgynous take mm-hmm. on being non-binary. Mm-hmm. I'm part of a subreddit called FTM. Femininity, and I think a lot about how people are over there presenting largely androgynous and so identifying as men and trans men, and how that is a circle that they have created. And somehow, in the non binary community, we really can't handle the concept that you might be non binary and present fem, or be non binary and present mm-hmm. masculine. Somehow, it feels like we should be leading that charge, and like in those two communities, we are losing the being locked into the binary battle.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot on my Tumblr, which is, I don't know, I'm not actually all that deep into the queer communities of Reddit, but I've I've been in the queer communities of Tumblr for most of my formative time. And I've seen a lot of support femme trans men, support mask trans women, like trans lesbians can be butch and they are still trans lesbians, Mm -hmm. they are not men. They talk a lot about like not conforming to the binary, because it's bullshit that people, even outside of the gender binary, are expected to somehow conform to it by thwarting it in very specific ways that can
1: You're only allowed to thwart it in ways that actually still subscribe to it.
0: Yeah, mostly by being thin and white and having short hair.
1: And, like, maybe wearing a tie.
0: And maybe wearing a tie, but
1: that's... It's really (laughs) pushing it, though. You better have some big tits. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just... It's odd because I understand the argument that, like, if you identify as a woman, like, why wouldn't you want to present as a woman? Like, why do you want to both identify as a woman and be perceived in masculine ways? But at the same time, that question speaks to a lack of understanding of what gender identity is. And it speaks to a cis person's viewpoint who's never had to question their gender identity. Yeah. What
0: does being a woman mean? Why is somebody who is born with a vulva able to dress butch and then still own a feminine or female identity? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't translate the other way. Why are we trying to force people into these like really narrow definitions of what a gender has to be Mm -hmm. when like you can just sort of do you, like be you?
1: And I think, interestingly, the whole, like, why would you want to hold a certain gender identity while being perceived in a a different gender? Like, why would you want those things not to match up was part of my, like, realizing that I don't experience gender in the Mm -hmm. same way that other people do. Because I I don't hold genders that I don't want to be perceived as. Right. I just... The issue is my gender that I hold and want to be perceived as changes often enough that I can't really... I don't feel like I can reasonably ask people to move through that with me. So I wind up with this, like, kind of quasi-non-binary situation.
0: I mean, what would it look like to change your pronouns? Because I, I remember we we've talked about this moment in the past on this podcast, I believe. But when you were in a work meeting uh, last spring, I don't know, quarantine's mm. weird, um, when somebody said, today my pronouns are...
1: Oh, yes, I loved that.
0: And, like, especially when you are in a situation where you are with, like, Zoom, I mean, in theory, since you have your pronouns in your name tag on Zoom, people should be able to look at your name tag and be like, oh, look, Elle's using he, him today. Yeah. Let's use he, him. And, like, that could be such a powerful space. Right.
1: it really could, But people are not very good at changing pronouns. Yeah. I also... I mean, I'm not even very good at it. I'm really, I'm really bad at it, which I always (laughs) think is rich when I get mad at other people (laughs) because I'm actively bad at it. Oh God, I was thinking about this yesterday. So we were talking about intersectional identities and intersectional identities are lit and all, and the way that we were presenting them, I'm actually moving away from where we were asked to draw identity maps in which each of your identities is a line and you have them intersect where your identities intersect. So like, the classic ones would be like, you know, if you are a white woman, those two things intersect. But maybe if you are also Christian, you don't really feel like your Christianity intersects with your womanhood. You would put it just on your white identity line. So you have those mm-hmm. lines intersect. And I pulled up the one that I did last year, it said to this activity last year as well. And I did like a whole map where not everything intersected. And I just... Couldn't get behind that this time. So this time I did it as like a spiral where all of the lines intersected because I just, like even in the example I just gave, if you gave, if you put Christian as intersecting with your whiteness, but not your womanhood, like, are you going to sit here and tell me that your Christianity hasn't informed how you experience womanhood? Because like Christianity has a lot to say about how women should live. And mm-hmm. I'm, I said that in a disparaging way because I hold disparaging beliefs about that in some ways, but they, it, regardless of if you believe it to be positive or negative, it has a lot to say about how women
0: should be. Right. Intersectionality doesn't have to mean acknowledging how your identities intersect negatively. It can just be an acknowledgement that they intersect.
1: Right. And I just, I, I think that the most obvious one for me is I can't separate my white identity from any other identity I hold. Being white undercuts and supports every other identity I hold, right? There's nothing that doesn't interact with the fact that I'm white. So I was thinking about that. So I was like, okay, my white identity will have to intersect with all of my other lines. But then I was like, I don't know. My AFAB identity has to intersect with the fact that I'm white because that's how I hold some of the same privileges and oppression that come with being a white woman in many contexts because I'm perceived as a white woman. So that AFAB has to intersect with white. Okay, so but then... I'm non binary as well. That has to intersect with the fact that I'm AFAB. Those are intrinsically linked. And then I'm non binary and white. And let me tell you about how non binary spaces are so much more kind to white people, queer spaces in general. So those two things have to intersect. Mm -hmm. And I just like ran down the list of all the things and like they're all related to all of my other identities. Right. Like no matter how you like slice or dice it, some of them are more strongly related. Like I think that being AFAB and being white is just like that is. It's like a whole identity to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just for shorthand, like white woman is an identity to itself that is incredibly separate from white men and black women. Right. Being a white woman has, it changes how you experience your whiteness and your womanhood 100%.
0: Which is just, I mean, that's where intersectionality, that is intersectionality.
1: Right? That is intersectionality, but I don't think that that's the only way that things intersect.
0: Right. And so then the way that your womanhood then also intersects with your non binariness.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's the one that I'm still really trying to parse out because like being an AFAP white individual comes with an insane amount of privilege. Like, you could argue almost the most amount of privilege. Like that it just comes with the whole world is set around protecting you. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of
0: That's true. I mean, being an AMAB White individual, the whole world is set up around putting you in power, putting you in power. Which I think there's an argument to be made that that is more privilege. But
1: but like we, I think that we see both sides of that, right? Like there mm-hmm. are there are downsides to both sides, and we talk about toxic masculinity enough that like yeah. So being a white afab comes with another set of privilege in non-binary circles because again we already talked about white people being more mm-hmm. welcomed in queer spaces. Also afab people are more welcome in non-binary spaces. Mm-hmm. So like it comes with that like second separate type of privilege and because white afab identity is so like well set, mm-hmm. it's hard to break out of. If right. that makes sense. Like I fit a mold That people have been seeing since they could like perceive Mm -hmm. (laughs) like right i fit this mold of like disney princesses i fit the mold of every single heroine and every single thing that has a heroine and if not then the, the dame that needs rescuing like i fit all of those molds and so people there's like a very there's a beautifully perfectly outlined box and like i just like slip in so easily that I think that's where it becomes hard for me to like disentangle myself from like feminist movements and right. convince people that that's not me.
0: Yeah. And I I think that in an ideal world, a feminist movement would be more slash completely intersectional and have space for like the acknowledgement that like we are fighting for the rights of people who express femininity or hold femininity in multiple different axes, which could mean if you're just a fab, mm-hmm. this is for you because we are fighting for like all of that shit you went through when you were a kid and figuring out
1: and the shit you're still going through because your body is tax and not appreciated by the the medical community let's talk about the pink tax let's talk about doctors not believing you go on
0: and then like on the other side of that being like and we're also here for people who currently express femininity even if they were not afab like trans women Mm -hmm. and how like you are being oppressed or you are lacking in privileges along that axis and then talking about people who uh, who were afab and no longer identify with womanhood or no longer identify solely with womanhood and how like that is its own very particular set of people who have their own particular set of problems, Mm -hmm. intersectional problems. And you can't just refer to them as like, we're fighting for all women, including those people who like don't really, don't really say they're women, but you know, and like, that's not the, that's not the energy we need to go into it with. We need to go into the energy of like, we're just all people are subject to weird, ridiculous gendered violence, to use the most inflammatory term, that yeah. is still kind of accurate. And, like, feminism is the movement that is most actively trying to undo that.
1: Right. I mean, I think that we are not the first to think this as gender expansive quote unquote women like that come at womanhood from different places because let me tell you the term intersectionality was created by black women having the same conversation about how feminism doesn't work for them so I just want to name that like we kind of are acting like we're coming to this as a new idea and we're just We're not. We're using language that was created by black women having the same issue where they're like, feminism is great, but it's not talking about me. And now we're here being like, feminism is great, but it's not talking about me. And it's just, I just have to name that it's not.
0: We're building on the shoulders of giants. right? wonderful giant women who did wonderful things to coin this language. Mm -hmm. And now we're saying, hey.
1: It can go even further. Yeah. Right. And I think something that I learned about intersectionality or something new that like I thought about from intersectionality. Um, was I am reading A Strategy right now, which is an incredible book, and I'm going to go read it. And it talks about how movements can't expect their people to be in lockstep. Mm-hmm. Movements have to have organic variation within them because everybody doesn't have the same story. And if you're only fighting for people who have the same story your movement is going to be not not enough. It's not going to do enough. It's only going to serve probably the people that are on your board, right? It's mm-hmm. only gonna serve people that fit this like very narrow lens of the identity that your movement is going towards. And it's not just what people who are oppressed miss out on. It's what the movement misses out on too. Because
0: That's very true. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. It's just these like single layer stories are so much more flimsy and they're so much less interesting Mm -hmm. and they're missing the vibrancy of human experience and they're missing the vibrancy of different cultures um if you're more inclusive to people other than just white women you're going to get some different ideas you're going to get going to get different ways of thinking and I think about that a lot with Emergent Strategy, which is written by a, a Black woman named Adrian Marie Brown. And her, a lot of the writing is based off another incredible Black woman named Octavia uh, Butler, who is a sci-fi writer. And Adrian, in her writing, specifies that like she's writing this for a different group of people. It's not for data-driven people. It's not for people who think in like incredibly... I don't want to say logical, but like linear, strict, mathematic, scientific ways like that. Mm-hmm. It's more for people who think like expansively and want to hear, they talk a lot about how like we should mimic nature and they talk about examples and nature and there's like poetry throughout it, but it's still a handbook for how to make a movement work. It's like a self-help book for movements, mm-hmm. but it's written in this other way that in my opinion, wouldn't be fostered at the very least in your like, all-white prep schools that go into fucking Harvard and then, like, are expected to have data and charts and, like, step-by-step analyses. Instead, Brown talks about, like, this isn't done. This is just my ideas. As I wrote this, the list of principles went from, like, nine to seven and landed at eight. And, like, it's not done. If you have ideas, your ideas are valid, too. And I think that really speaks to this. Like, you don't have to be in lockstep. Like, you just... Like, We're all out here kind of figuring it out, mm-hmm. and like if something about it doesn't fit, then like that's beautiful. Now you're bringing your own self to it and you're learning, right? And I think about another beautiful, beautiful black woman who I learned so much from, which is Dr. Amante, who is a Harvard grad, so you know, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't shit on Harvard. But she gave a presentation two years ago in which Among many other beautiful things, she was talking about, like, she was defining microaggressions. And she had a slide that had, like, examples of microaggressions. And on it, she included one that was, like, where are you from? No, like, where are you really from? Like, that classic example of a microaggression. And in the, like, assumptions being made under that, she had said that, like, the reason it's hurtful is you're assuming that she's not American. And at a conference she'd previously done it at, somebody pointed out that, like, in her slide about microaggressions, she had a microaggression because the U.S. is not the only country in the Americas. (laughs) And, like, to say that people were assuming she's not American is to say that she was centralizing the U.S. as the only America that, like, matters, right? Right. Because she definitely wasn't saying that people didn't think she was from Mexico or Canada, both of which are also in the Americas. Yeah, And I just, I think about that willingness to change. Like she didn't change the slide before she came to us. She presented this information. She yeah. like told us and showed us her learning. And I think, I think a lot about people who are willing to show their learning and show that they're not perfect. And I think that if our movements didn't have to be so lockstep, people would be more able to do that. Right. Because if you have to be locked if you have to already come to this work perfectly formed and 100% already knowing everything,
0: then where are we going? Then
1: where are we going? And also looking at like thinking a certain way too because if you if you have to come to a movement already 100% knowing everything, that requires that knowing everything quote unquote it has to be in a certain lens because you can't know everything from every lens. So it has to yeah. be in a certain lens. And again, if we're talking about the like feminist movements, that lens is going to be white womanhood. Yeah. And, like, that's not enough. And, like, this idea of lockstep, is just, like, it permeates so far from disallowing other identities to disallowing growth to disallowing imperfection. Like, I don't know, you don't have to be... You don't have to have cleansed yourself of all your misogynistic ideals to fight feminism. In fact, you almost certainly haven't.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so... Kind of looping that back then to the discussion we having earlier mm-hmm. about people not really being able to see non-binary identities, mm-hmm. sort of like, how do you feel like that intersects with that?
1: Well, because if, if, if the movement has to be in lockstep and your non-binary identity is not in lockstep, then you are disallowed from the movement and then you're disallowed from the stage. And
0: then that, and that prevents people from acknowledging your gender.
1: Right. Or seeing you or learning about you. Yeah. Yeah. Also T L D R go read emergen strategy. <laughs>
0: it sounds really good. I'll have to read it. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but
1: it's really, really good. Yeah. and uh, I mean only if you work in nonprofit. It is pretty centered on how to That's you have fair. to you have to be working in some sort of social justice in some form. Yeah.
0: But I mean but, those lessons can be probably powerful for a lot of people. True. Yeah. Anything else on your heart and soul?
1: oh there's always more on my heart and soul but not on this topic <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well in that case uh thank you guys once again for listening to gender journey the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context and obviously talk about more than that based on this episode
1: <laughs> the podcast where al goes on rants and josie Christ has had them off with a nice bow <laughs> <laughs>
0: i do i do my best <laughs> um once again, I am one of your hosts, Josie, joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Yep. Yeah. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys, composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josywritescom genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon.